You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. There are only two known historic log cabins standing in Detroit. Last month, there were three. Researchers were ecstatic to find one, possibly built before the Civil War, sitting just north of Hamtramck. But not long after the discovery, the cabin was demolished by the Detroit Land Bank Authority. Land Bank says it was just following procedure. But should there be more care when we're dealing with buildings that tell us something special about our past and give us an up-close glimpse of our history? What does this say about our attitudes and policies about buildings and how disposable they seem to be sometimes in this city? That's where we want to continue the conversation about sacred spaces here on Detroit Today. And my guests to discuss this issue further are Greg Kowalski. He's the chairman of the Hamtramck Historical Museum. He had hoped to move this log cabin in front of Hamtramck City Hall. Greg Kowalski, Kowalski, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah. Also with us is Krista Rizuski. She's an archaeologist and associate professor of anthropology here at Wayne State University. She's the one who received the original tip about this log cabin. Krista, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. And also with us is Alyssa Strickland. She is the public information officer for the Detroit Land Bank Authority. Alyssa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's start with Greg and Krista. Talk about how you discovered this building. And I have to admit up front, I didn't even know we had log cabins here in the city of Detroit, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised as how old as this community is. Krista, you want to handle this one? Sure. So <laughs> Uh, Last fall, I was teaching a class with my students at Wayne State University uh, where we were excavating a site on Campo in Hamtramck, and we got some news coverage about our excavations in the Detroit News. Uh, Neil Rubin did a story on us, and shortly after the news came out, I received an email from a a state inspector who was uh, examining different uh, properties that were slated for demolition by the land bank, and he said, you know, I think you should should take a look at this property. There appears to be a log cabin built within this modern house. Oh so in goodness. other words, there was a, a house built in the 19-teens or 20s on Halleck Street um, on the east side of Detroit, and it had been built around uh, an earlier historic log cabin. And so one thing led to another, and we started, Greg and I had been working together on the excavations, and we started the process of contacting the land bank and uh, verifying that there was, in fact, a log cabin in the building. So we visited the site. Uh, I brought students in to do a quick documentation and survey of it, and we took some samples of the logs and sent them off to Michigan Tech, where they are performing tree ring dating, dendrochronology Mm -hmm. of of the logs to help us date the cabin. It turns out, in our um, historic research of the property, that there's no maps that show a cabin standing there dating back to the earliest maps we have are from the 18, excuse me, 1850s. Uh, there are no written records about this cabin, but it was a beautifully constructed timber cabin um, with hand-painted wallpaper left behind. It was a gem. It was one of a kind. It was an artifact that tells us about the everyday people of Detroit and Hamtramck who lived there and contributed to the early building of the city. So that was step one. And we wanted to do everything we could to save it at that point. So then Greg got involved. Hmm. And I got involved because uh, 
Well, for one thing, that area where that cabin was located was actually part of Hamtramck at one point. It was part of Hamtramck Township until about 1915 when it was annexed by the city of Detroit as it was growing. So there was a logical connection for us to get involved in this, and we immediately saw that there was a great potential here because the cabin itself, the walls that were inside, were in really, really good shape. And uh, I'm familiar with another project where a cabin like this was found up in Bloomfield Township and moved over to Bloomfield Hills. It was rescued and is now preserved and in use up in, in the township. And I immediately things started clicking, and I said, <laughs> we can move this. And I approached the city council. Chris and I actually approached the city council and presented them with a plan for moving the cabin, bringing it to a site in front of City Hall in Hamtramck. There's a park right in front of uh, City Hall. We actually went out, uh, I and another member of the uh, museum board, went out and measured the width of the streets leading from where the cabin site to City Hall, which is roughly about a mile, not even that, I would suspect. And we determined that it would be very easy, you know, that we could do it. It was feasible. We could move the cabin. Uh, the site on the park was large enough. There were no trees in that particular area. We could have driven a trailer with the cabin on it because it was only about 16 by 20 feet hmm. in size and loaded it right onto that site. The city of Hamtramck, you know, the city council, was enthusiastic about the idea, passed an official resolution supporting the process and uh, doing this. And, and, and as Krista can attest, when we presented this to the city council, there were people in the audience there for different matters, had not, no idea what we were even talking about, <laughs> and they were giving us support, saying this is a great <laughs> idea. Right, we have to save this cabin, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so talk about what uh, your reaction was when you learned that it had been demolished. I almost felt like I lost a family member. I mean, I w it was devastating. It was absolutely, utterly devastating to us because we saw the tremendous potential of what we could have done with this cabin. We were going to move it there. We were going to restore it. We were going to use it as a teaching tool. We thought it would be a wonderful teaching tool uh, to show, especially we have so many immigrant kids in Amtramic, and we have, there's so many in Detroit, too. We could have brought them to this site and showed them this is how early Detroiters and Hamtramicans lived. And this is a real insight into that period. Hmm. We could have used it for other events as well, too. But that really would have been the principal thing that I think would have worked so well. It would have been a real focal point for both of our communities. Hmm. So Alyssa Strickland, uh, public information officer for the Detroit Land Bank Authority. Tell us what happened here. How did this uh, structure end up being demolished? So what I'd like to point out is that, you know, it was never a case of the land bank not sharing enthusiasm for the ideas um, for what to do with the cabin. It just was unfortunately a case of bad timing in this circumstance. Um, you know, it's my understanding based on previous conversations that I've had with Kristen and Greg that this discovery was made in the fall, but unfortunately the land bank did not receive any word of this until January um, and by that time, the demolition had already been contracted. And once the demolition is contracted, we can't remove it from the list. So money has already been put into it, you know, taxpayer money, federal money, city dollars, money has already been spent. So we can't backtrack it at that point. And it's not just as simple as pulling one house. It impacts everything else that was in that bid package hmm. that 
whatever contractor sure. uh, was awarded. Yeah. So had we learned about the historic nature of the property sooner before it was contracted, we would have welcomed the opportunity to work with Wayne State and to work with the Hamtramck Museum to figure out a path forward for this property and to preserve it as a historical site, which we did do with um, the another log cabin, the one on Clement Street that we did know was historic. Um, and instead of having that on any sort of demolition list, we marketed that on the MLS, the traditional real estate market, and we were able to sell it to a buyer who wants to preserve it. Mm. Uh, uh, Krista, you were sitting here shaking your head during some of what Alyssa was saying there. Yes, I was shaking it up and down and side to side. <laughs> um, and, and Alyssa makes uh, several um, excellent points. And um, one, of, one of the issues we had was um, how to contact the land bank and in, in which order of operations we should go about um, presenting our case. And um, we did the documentation at the log cabin site in early December, and Greg first reached out to the land bank in early December. In uh, you know who he contacted and the messages he got depended on uh, the individual he spoke to. So there was a lot of um, mixed communication going on, and I wish there had been a more transparent process for addressing contingencies about when historical or cultural resources are encountered during the demolition process. And this is something that Alyssa and Greg and I have talked about since then. And this is an unfortunate situation, but we're hoping to spin it into something that can be positive for charting a more productive course in the future. So in the aftermath of the the demolition, which, um, like Greg said, was like losing a family member, it was it was very painful. And we're all still mourning that. Um, especially because there were preservationists in the community who offered to purchase the property Mm. um, to halt the demolition just days before it was demolished. Uh, In the aftermath, uh, the land bank uh, gave us permission to do an excavation for one day at the site before it was backfilled Mm -hmm. in so we could recover any remnant traces of archaeological artifacts associated with the cabin that would help us understand the site a little bit better and the people who lived there. And so we did that. And the next step will be to have a sort of, and this may sound weird, a kind of community therapy <laughs> event where we process the archaeological artifacts at the Hamtramck Museum uh, with the collaboration of the Land Bank. And that will happen on Saturday, June 1st. Mm-hmm. So this is not the outcome we were hoping for. Right. It's not a total loss, but, but it's a it conversation is, it starter. Is, it is a, a tragedy that, that, that we is. ended up losing this. Uh, we've got, I want to go to the callers here uh, to, to get them involved in this conversation. Let's go to Dino in Detroit. Dino, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Good. Uh, so I live in that neighborhood. I live two streets down from um, from where the log cabin was demolished. And, you know, it's it's not the only thing that was demolished by the land bank in the neighborhood that probably shouldn't have been. I've seen houses that were in pretty good shape that could have been, you know, restored that have been knocked down, and then other houses in the same neighborhood that are still standing where holes are in the roof and um, business activities are being conducted, mm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it seems really unfair to the people who live in that neighborhood, and the land bank owns about 70% of that neighborhood. Yeah. And, uh, there are a lot of neighborhoods like that around the city, too, do you know? I mean, it, it, it's a pretty common dynamic. Uh, Alyssa Strickland, I wonder if you could address these kinds of things that people see in the city where it doesn't seem like there's much rhyme or reason sometimes to 
what the land bank ends up tearing down and then what it lets stand uh, still. And then, of course, there are also houses that are not owned by the land bank that sit there and, and people sometimes ascribe those to the land bank. But, but give us some idea of how you go about making those decisions. Certainly. So, you know, it really is a process. So just because you see a house coming down this week and another house isn't, doesn't mean that that other house is never in our plan to come down. So, you know, with the federal hardest hit money that we use for demolitions as the land bank, we can demolish in certain zones that are designated, you know, by the federal program. And so that's how we move through the inventory. And those decisions are based on you know, our inspections of the properties. So something may, you know, look okay from the outside, but it's hard to know unless you're an inspector and have been inside the structures what's really going on with the foundation or, you know, the underlying issues that might be present. So things may come down in an order that doesn't seem to have much rhyme or reason to it, but logistically there there is rhyme and reason to those decisions. Mm. So, you know, I would encourage people who are interested in what might be on the demolition list and what might be contracted to come down in their neighborhood to go to the demolition tracker. There's a link to it on buildingdetroit.org, which is the Land Bank's website. And you can put in, you know, your address or any address of interest, zoom in by neighborhood, and there's a multitude of filters on there so you can see exactly what we own. You can see what's on our demolition list, what's on the city's demolition list, what's contracted. So that there really is a lot of powerful information out there for residents to be more informed about our inventory, our ownership, and what the demolition plans are in their neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, my last question for you, Alyssa, is is about this log cabin, and uh, you know the fact that you say that the decisions had already been made by the time the historic designation was was sort of understood. Doesn't it doesn't it seem though like there should be some way to override that? In other words, that hey, this is really important. This is not something we can reclaim after we demolish. Uh, so let's just put the brakes on and, and think about this. We've only got about a minute left, but I really want to hear you respond to that. So in terms of stopping a demolition, once it's contracted, it's really too far down the road at that point. But I do think that this was an important learning opportunity, and this is part of the conversation that I've had with staff internally since this happened, that we may be you know, can't give a yes to the big ask of stopping the demolition, but there are things that we could have had more conversations about. We could have gotten creative about how we could have worked with Krista and Greg to give a little more in that time between when, you know, we became aware of the historic nature and when the demolition actually took place. Because, you know, several weeks did go by, Mm -hmm. and we were able to work with Krista after the demo, like she mentioned, on the excavation. So I think there was opportunity there, had the conversation been able to shift a little bit of, okay, we can't not tear the house down, but what else could we do in order for some piece of this to be saved? And I think that that has been a big learning opportunity of, Uh, you know, uh, our staff really was hoping that they uh, could stop the demolition. It just was you, not something yeah. that was feasible. Okay. Right. So what uh, could we have done instead? Greg Kowalski, Krista Rozuski, and Alyssa Strickland, thanks very much for being here for this conversation on Detroit today. Thank you. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll talk with you again tomorrow. <laughs>